So hi, Erin. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, so do you want to tell my audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So I'm the founder and CEO of a fintech called Navit. That stands for Navigate It. And we're really on a mission to change the narrative around money and specifically show people how money is just a part of a holistic health lifestyle that really we have talked a lot about health and wellness over the last 10 15 years but really to truly embody health and wellness we need to have conversations about money we need to integrate money into a health and wellness lifestyle yeah absolutely great um so why do you think just as a whole in the current political climate social climate why is intersectional feminism so important Oh, I'm, it's so exciting to talk about this subject. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. I, it's absolutely the moment in time where we have to talk about this. And I think the world has shifted so much. You know, a lot of people, especially, you know, I'm in the United States, a lot of our political climate is almost trying to go backwards to some degree, but we've pushed too far forward. There have been so many things in the last 60 years that have allowed access to, for women, for people of color, for LGBTQ populations, and most importantly, access to, and again, I go, I always go back to money because I really think in our capitalist societies, money is the root of all of this, where we have access to our own, our own money, to the labor markets. You know, women and people of color couldn't access, you know, Ivy League schools in the United States until the 1970s. They couldn't access credit to be able to build wealth until the 1970s. Obviously, LGBTQ populations were incredibly suppressed up until a lot, even the last 10 years now they can marry. Um, and there's just, like, the laws have opened up so that now the other half of society, the, the female and, and marginalized populations, are meaningfully participating. We have education, we are, and this is not true across all, you know, all marginalized populations, like people of color are suffering more, but they have just, it's just astronomical, the changes in the last 60 years. So people have, they have access, they're participating in society, social media is giving us this amazing ability to connect, and we absolutely have to now move the conversation forward to what does intersectionality look like? What does it look like to be inclusive in these conversations? How do we open up the narrative, not just to our specific little world, but to the people that surround us and create and model inclusion. Great, thank you. Um, yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, it's hard to, I think a lot of people forget that we have to consider so many walks of life and so many different struggles that people deal with Completely. when we're talking about equality and building people up and completely yeah absolutely yeah I, yeah go ahead sorry <laughs> um so what made you realize the difference between white feminism and intersectionality like what was it that clicked in your life that made you go oh wait there's more to this than just the surface just level my narrative yeah yeah i had a really uh, I've had a really odd career. So when I was 21 years old, I, my stepmother, a white privileged, you know, two white privileged women, my stepmother was a feminist. She marched on Washington for the Equal Rights Amendment in the 70s. She went back at 32 to become a doctor because she had a nutrition degree, um, but she wanted to put her money where her mouth was essentially. And she was a feminist saying women can be at the upper echelons of you know, society. And, and so she kind of needed, she wanted to prove it. So she went back and she became an OBGYN um, in her thirties. And, you know, I don't think she graduated until 40, you know? And so, I mean, starting a career late anyways, she was an incredible, um, I mean, pillar of um, amazing feminism for me in my life. And she took me, but you know, that was a privileged lifestyle. She, it, she fought for it, but she had help, you know, along the way. And um, so she took me on a, on a safari for my undergraduate degree graduation, and we went to Botswana. And I was on the way to go like work at NAFTA, and I had had some exposure, you know, like living in Amer on the West Coast of America. You know, I had Asian friends, I had African-American friends, 
Um, now we say black friends, sorry, black friends. Um, but I, I had still lived a very, you know, privileged white life. And I went back and when I, when I was in Africa, I was offered the job to work in the safari lodge that we went to. And I felt like I couldn't not take that opportunity. I was 21 years old. I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to understand what it was like to live in a developing country. We have, you know, this, at the time it was early, like early 2000s and the Iraqi war was happening. So there was this like neo-colonialism. I was so angry about the Iraqi war and, and Americans, you know, pushing their weight around the world, telling people what to do. And I really felt like, you're right, like, I don't have a clue about the origin, you know, origins of HIV in this country or the political climate or why things are the way they are. Let me come back. And that was, a, I mean, fundamentally altered my life because I spent 12 years on the continent realizing that, you know, whatever stereotypes we have or, you know, racist undertones in our white privileged world, the reality is we're all human. These women are my equals in every single way. They just have a different background. And they and in Africa, you know, the colonial history is pretty profound that has affected their economic ability or their, you know, access to growth. And it was just a revolution. I, you know, I I intimately understood other people's stories that were vastly different than mine. And I realized that feminism has to has to include everyone's stories. And my job as a feminist isn't just to promote my, like the advancement of my story. It's to understand the women around me story and fight for them too. Because especially because we come from as a woman, you know, as, so as a white woman in Africa, I come from such incredible privilege. Um, it's my responsibility with that privilege to fight for people that didn't have the same level of access that I had. Yeah, that's so beautifully said. Thank you. <laughs> It was a long, hard-fought battle, you know, it was a good yeah. decade to, to understand that, but it's, yeah. I'm like, did that open anything up, like, mentally, emotionally for you? 100%. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I think, I, I think what it did was, it just, it's just, I thought I would, you know, you think you're a good person. I'm kind, I'm empathetic, I'm respectful, you know, but then you, but you have ultimately with lack of exposure and with lack of these kind of narratives, you have inherent biases. And I had to, you know, in my early days, just come strip, strip away all the kind of stereotypes and assumptions I had of people that I had never met in my life yeah. um, and never been exposed to. And yeah, there's, it, there's a lot of, it, it took time, but there's a lot of self-reflection. And then in Africa, you know, I was in Botswana in safaris. So there were, you know, Botswanans that were working there and then of course there were Afrikaners and South Africans that had their own level of racism and you know deep-seated history of racism and from their culture and as an American being neutral but like having to differentiate and say like no what you are saying I'm 21 I don't have a lot of world experience but I know what you're saying is evil. You know, I know that there's a moral compass here and I, I don't know how to fight you on it because I don't have the vocabulary, the experience, but intuitively I know that what you're saying is racist and the system that we are living in is racist and how do we fix that? And like, how do we think about it? So it was, a, it was just a great mental exercise. Yeah, wow. Um, so what led you to then incorporate that into not I mean not just your personal like lifestyle and beliefs but your professional lifestyle and beliefs right it's the same it's the same concept of like I have this immense privilege I have because I mean and don't get me wrong it's not like you know being a woman as an entrepreneur in the financial technology space like I definitely have there's there's a lot of uh, bias to overcome for me and my world, but yeah. I just can navigate, I'm just conscious that I can navigate that more smoothly than a woman of color or an L a woman of color and an LGBTQ woman, you know, et cetera. So um, I think translating, having that core understanding then brings you into an environment where I, ha I am representing not just myself, but all the people, all the women that don't have access like I do. And yeah. so there's just this inherent, yeah, d um, consciousness that I need to be, I need to be better. I need to, you know, try and incorporate as many narratives as possible into my work. I need to, um, you know, in our, like a good example is, you know, our, in our visuals, 
we've said 60%, you know, I need to know, understand bias, like 60% of our visuals need to be people of color because, yeah. you know, white people are so much the norm. And even if the population in the United States isn't 60% people of color, the reality is I'm trying to fight a bias, right? So you can overcompensate, right? And you can say, okay, you know, this is, this is my role is to not just show white women and white men navigating the financial system or becoming entrepreneurs, but show people of color doing that because it's really, yeah. you know, once you see a model, especially people who haven't seen a model like them do things, you know, when you see that model, you can, you can imagine a path forward, you know, like Oprah, a black woman can see Oprah and say, okay, maybe there is a path for me, you know, in this world, obviously it's specific to hers, but yeah, modeling it is really important. Yeah. Uh, yeah, completely agree with that. And it's nice to see a company showcasing that for different types of women and like not excluding or only showing like white stories or only showing black stories, like showing as many stories as possible on such a diverse spectrum. Yes. It's, I mean, and it just brings more richness. The thing that's so funny about this is that it makes my company better. It makes us yeah. as a, you know, there's just so much richness in that and the brand is more vibrant and interesting and, people's you know bring new perspectives that make the product better and you know it's just like why wouldn't you <laughs> yeah <laughs> it only exactly. makes everyone better <laughs> exactly um so you stated in your interview with dame which you sent me which really interesting read thank you so much for that by the way thank you for um, reading it yeah. <laughs> yeah no it was so interesting i mean i don't know much about the financial world but like from that That's okay. like, wow <laughs> yes there's no time like the present to learn <laughs> exactly <laughs> so you stated in your interview with dame that only one generation has had access the access to labor to realize the inequality for women in finances so could you explain that a bit more so like more people in my position that don't really understand the financial of course understand it Absolutely. Yes. Thanks for that question. I think, you know, I, I alluded to some of that previously in one of my other answers, but I think yeah. I want to like, let, let's be very clear, you know, yeah. prior to the 1970s, and this is true in your country as well as mine. Um, and then, you know, without having to go all the way back to the suffragettes and your country for, you know, was the lead on women's right to vote. So thank you. And thank you for your, <laughs> your ancestors, but okay. We got the vote in the 20s, a lot of things happened up until the 70s, but finally in the 70s, um, there were massive legal changes. Prior to that, the legal structure literally would not let women access credit. And so credit is one of these things that is a huge like, factor in being able to build wealth. You know, and especially in the United States, I don't know your system as well. But the reality is, you know, when you go to buy a house, most often you're going to use credit to be yeah. able to build, you know, which gives you safety and security. It gives you, you know, an asset, something that is um, something of worth that is owned by you that helps you then be able to get other forms of support. So if you have an asset like a house, maybe as an entrepreneur, you would can leverage that asset to get a loan for your business. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, credit is just such an, it's, it's in the inverse, it's incredibly dangerous. Obviously, debt is an incredibly dangerous thing. And in the United States, there's a lot of really, you know, bad things happening around student loan debt and high interest debt. But in the, but on the positive side, credit is the thing that helps people build really um, meaningful intergenerational wealth. And if you don't have access to women, literally could not access that on their own. They had to have a man sign their husband or a father or someone else sign for them. And it's just by doing that, you're excluding women from creating businesses, from creating wealth. The, the other thing that happened, there are a couple things, a couple more things that happened in the seventies. One is in our country, women got access to the upper echelons of education. So there were some women's colleges here and there that were proxies to Harvard and Yale, et cetera, but they weren't integrated. And of course, that means true integration is there's never going to be equality. And in the 70s, you know, Yale, Princeton, Harvard, all these guys started to open up to allow women and art. So 
let's just have a moment. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg just died on Friday and was a huge proponent of feminism. She, you know, she was a recipient of these changes, right? She was one of the, she was like the second Harvard Law class that was an integrated, you know, with females. I think she had like nine females out of 150. But that's a huge shift. And so once you start, women start accessing those upper echelons of education, you're really cultivating a generation that can then go on to leadership and in labor markets. The final thing that happened in the 70s that is absolutely imperative was there in the United States, at least, there was a Pregnancy Act um, in 1978 that allowed that, that, (laughs) which is incredible that this was true, but it said, work uh, an employer could not fire a woman for being pregnant (laughs) prior to that you could get fired for being pregnant which is part of also you know our contribution to society and part of the labor market too i mean you need us to be pregnant so that your economy can flourish right (laughs) so the and and then of course that that includes access to birth control so all those things in the 70s that occurred and, and it's incredible. You know, I was born in the 80s. You were, you're definitely not, I'm sure. You were born a lot later. Late but 90s. That's only <laughs> ni- late 90s, yes, very yeah. good represent. But think about that. That's only two decades. Like if your mother's generation, or maybe your grandmother's, or my mother's generation, was yeah. born with all these restrictions. And then, and then all of this changed in the 70s. And now all of us were, that were born after were like, yeah, of course I can go to college. Of course I can get a job. Of course exactly. I, I should get paid equally. You know, like, of course I should access birth control. Like, I should get pregnant when I want to, you know. And so that shift is just one to two generations. You're the second. Like, I'm the first. You know, it, yeah. generation's old. And that just fundamentally alters society. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And it's just, it's very strange to think I mean especially my generation growing up in such a like open and liberal society that only like well not even 20 like 15 years before I was born women had so many restrictions on what they could do and how they could live their life and like yeah and if it wasn't for people in the 70s like you know I'm I'm self-employed now I wouldn't have been able to do that which is just, exactly. it's like, I have a degree, I'm self-employed, I can do that, that you founded your business. Like, yep. we wouldn't have been able to do that if those changes hadn't been made. No, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, and, and I think that's what happened. Like, I talk about this a lot because I didn't realize it, right? We were just born into this world, like, of course, yeah. you know, there's openness. But but I talk about because understanding the fragility of that, like, understanding people could take that away from us too, you know? And I mean, I don't, I don't, I think there's, we're too much on mass in the labor market for them too, but they're like little ways of chipping away at those things that are dangerous. And so the other thing I should mention in that seventies world was of course the civil rights act in the United States that opened up um, equally labor markets and, and education to people of color. And of course a lot, you know, it's not perfect and there are a lot of it you know yes systematic bias and racism that still occurs that didn't see the level of growth that we would have hoped after that but it's Mm -hmm. it's a shift once again like you you know people the I I, you know I worked with people of color across multiple industries that um, had or I was in school with people of color that you know wouldn't have happened a year you know a generation before yeah so yeah like I mean I know we could but both reflect on like our opportunities that we had but you know as long as we recognize our privilege within this then that's the important thing I think one thing that people forget with intersectionality is recognizing their own privileges above others and not and if you don't recognize your privilege you can't use it to help other people get their privileges as well completely yeah, and I think it's a hard, I have, I, the, the thing about that that I struggle with is, does it mean that my successes were on the backs of someone else? And I, I have a hard time, you know, reconciling that, of like, you know, it's, it's not like my, my history or my family's history was without struggle. People worked hard. It's yeah. just the access, you know, that then, that I, that I, I have is real and I acknowledge it. And I think I, I don't like to, I'm someone that kind of focuses on the successes and like the, the positivity and how we can improve. Right. So I feel like that, you know, but there is something to be said of like, 
I am sorry, you know, that my, my, my family's version was a lot easier than other people's family's version. And then, and I take that to heart as a responsibility to be better. And yeah. I won't, you know, I don't want to stay, I don't want to live in guilt or shame or, you know, I don't. And cause I also think it victimizes people when you kind of think that way. Like, Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I refuse people are, you know, completely able to self-actualize irregardless of the system that they're in. It's just how can we make the system better to help people do that more easily? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how does, I know you've, you've kind of touched on this, but I want to go more in depth as to how NABIT does help with these inequalities and how, okay. you know, your company helps, well, helps women with finances, helps educate them, and that helps build women up, basically. Yes, thank you. And I don't know if I fully answered your point about fin- finance, but I, um, in that whole like diatribe about about <laughs> the history. Um, so, so now that specifically is looking at the inclusivity of money and creating an environment where not only we show diverse people managing their money, being successful, being entrepreneurs, being or freelancers, um, or just navigating careers or even life, or just being stay-at-home moms, but but managing the household budget. You know, like we are really our interest is to say, look, the narrative about money and the version of success that has been put out to the world has been one version. It's been yeah. the white male version that says you go to call, you know, you go to school, you graduate. You get a job, you work, 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 you save, 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 you have a family, you, you know, you retire and you live, you like live out your life. And that is just, that is one specific, very specific narrative of people that are privileged and have opportunities. And from a feminine side, so people of color, of course, don't always have opportunity to finish in good schools, don't always go to colleges, don't have blah, blah, blah. You know, there's, there's a whole narrative there from a feminine perspective too, we just have a different trajectory. Like there's just a different conversation and that's, it's, there's a reality of biologic and there's a reality societally, right? So we go to college, we get out in the United States, we have, you know, there's incredible debt. So we're both burned with the same level of debt, men and men and women. But then of course, women get out, they're typically paid less or they tip or they do have a percentage of go into lower paying jobs, you know, different industries like service jobs, which now with COVID, I really hope, you know, our, the premium we place on education and healthcare changes, but that those are the predominant fields for women, right? And other service industries. Um, so we make less, but of course we have a higher cost of living over time. And that's not because we like makeup and, you know, doing our nails. It's literally, you know, cost of healthcare for women is five times higher than the average man because we have, we have reproductive health requirements and we produce the next generation of humanity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we have, you know, um, there's a pink tax, like at least in the United States, where if you look at this, a similar, the, the market understands that women are the consumer. We, you know, we buy the things for the household, we buy the food, we we're the vast majority of purchase choices, 85%. And so when they market like a pink dress to a little girl and a blue dress, you know, shirt to a boy they market it but it's about 1.2 percent higher price for the same product that's marketed to a woman so you're just functioning if once you know that then you start like start buying the, the dude you know yeah. the boy's done for the girl and you know or you do you know second hand but but there's just reality like the cost of our living is more expensive so then you have let you're paid less you have a lower higher cost of living and then over time there is you are at some point possibly going to take a, a career pause you know about in the United States, about 60% of women take some sort of career pause when they have children or, or for caretaking responsibilities, like when their elderly parents need them or their husband gets hurt or something. So yeah. n- now you have you know, lower pay, higher cost of living, and now you're potentially taking a, a gap in your career trajectory that obviously like you lose money over time because you come in at a lower rate than later, et cetera. Yeah. So, these narratives, like it's so important to me that we start talking about these realities because money just needs to be different for women. First of all, we need to get more comfortable about it. We need mm. to start talking about it. We need to understand how it works. We need to also see our like our path in front of us and how you know these are just realities. So are we going to then come out of college and negotiate more? Are we going to think about you know when we take loans, how are we going to repay them? Like should we? 
think about loans differently, you know, at least in the United States. Yeah. Um, are we are we going to talk about career pauses and are we going to really think strategically as we take them, you know, what are we going to do afterwards and how are we going to, you know, if that, that is a great thing for people to do, but just be conscious of it. You know, are you going to have a side hustle in the interim? Are you going to think about real estate investment? Like, what are you going to, how else can you think about that pause? as not just yeah. childcare, but can you think about other things? And so, yeah, it's just, we integrate those conversations into our product and we have, we show obviously the inclusivity of, we show other women entrepreneurs and we help people give advice to each other. And then we, we factor that in, in our nudges and our conversations in wow. money management. That's really cool. I've, you know, <laughs> I wish there were, I wish there were more companies that did that and like, I think that's I think that's the problem. Like we don't have enough things that are made for women by women. Like it's always like made by a man who's kind of guessing about what the woman's experience is. I don't which think you help. Often they don't even think about it. And I yeah. think they're getting better. Like I think I said this in the in the article you referenced that you know at the they're getting better and they're being the last four years, you know, five years, they're being pushed right, to be better. But the reality, like Apple Watch, Fitbit, all these health trackers, all of them, you know, the vast majority of technology is made by men. And they didn't include a period tracker. They didn't include, you know, like key things that change a woman's heartbeat over the course of a 28-day cycle. You know, like they just, and they literally, I genuinely think it was innocent. I think that they just did not remember <laughs> or know that, our health outcomes are different than theirs. You know, it's yeah. just, yeah. Well, I mean, like, I wear a health watch, but, you know, it, yes. will, it will pop and it'll be like, oh, this is irregular. And I'm like, well, it's not. I'm just, you know, on my cycle. So On your cycle, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't factor just, it in. Well, and then it's like, oh, your sleep's irregular. And I'm like, well, no, that's because it's just that week. So I can't, that's how, yeah. I can't do anything about it. That's just how it yeah. is. <laughs> And in fact, it's healthy. I mean, you have, that, that's normal. You want yeah. to have, you know, the cycle in a healthy way, right? So yes, yes, it's all, you know, I, I, that's why in the, in FinTech and also just across, you know, industries, I yeah. think having female leaders, investing in female entrepreneurs, you know, when you look at female, eight out of 10 female entrepreneurs, their product has some sort of social impact mission. Right. And that's not true for our counterparts. So you just like when you have women participating in product development, you just mm -hmm. you have that second, the other half of the which is so ironic, the other half of the population's perspective. But also we are the ones buying it. I think it's it's so it's a good market choice to like create products that are inclusive of the feminine narrative because women buy all of these products. Yeah. <laughs> Because we're interested in it, we want to. We want things more catered to our experience. So why not produce totally? Them? Yeah, and I think with with the way technology is now, that could be so personalized. Yeah, I mean, it's you're missing a significant part of the benefit of technology if you don't personalize it to the feminine experience, health and wellness. Yeah, I mean, it goes a bit further than just making it pink, doesn't it? I, and, and please, if I see it pink, I will not buy it. So yeah. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> I've, I've stopped now. I'm like, nope, no more of that. I mean, like, here in the UK, we've only just started putting in the steps to get rid of the tampon tax. Um, oh, my God, yes. Yeah, which is just, yeah. thank God it's happening. But, like, why has it taken so long? Why is it even there in the first place? Why, yeah, why is it there? <laughs> How does that <laughs> happen? <laughs> right. So, right. yes. Um, it's nice to see, like, I think we need to start being more vocal about having products catered to women. Um, and it's, you know, it's very difficult because you have women going like, oh, but because we sh we shouldn't need like separate products because we're just like we're equal to men and everything and it's like okay right. it's not just about that it's the fact that we have different needs to men not like right. in general just like biologically yeah and that's good like you don't yeah. want us all to be men yes i i think you know it's a it's a great point because we've struggled with that in our 
business, you know, we, we say we're built by women, uh, but wealth for all, because yeah. we struggle with, you know, money at the core, the neutrality of money, the paper of, you know, the little piece of paper that is money is neutral. Yeah. It's, it's gender neutral. You know, it doesn't mean more, more or less to one, uh, one gender. So we've yeah. struggled with it to some degree. And where I've landed is like, look, the money is not serving like the financial industry and what's happening in, especially in the United States is not serving everyone. It's not serving a lot of men and it's not serving women. So for me, the conversation is how do we change the narrative to show that money is something not only that can be positive, but can be inclusive and is related to your overall health. It's yeah. not just about numbers and dollars and having big, like fancy cars. It's like your health and wellness it mm -hmm. is dependent on having some sort of income and I mean, some sort of livelihood and safety net. And that means you have some sort of money, right? You're managing yeah. your money somehow. So I think by that is also how we've done it. Like we, our app is obviously for everyone, but we've tried to create this inclusive narrative that says, Hey, you know, your health, like health is for everyone too. And health means different things to different people come in, have this conversation about health and wellness for you, mindfulness practices, and think about how your cognitive health is related to your financial health or vice versa. And then, and then move from there. And that is an inherently feminine conversation because yeah. women are, you know, tend to have more conversations about mindfulness and wellness and health, but um, it's not exclusive. You know, it's also, it's a great practice for men too, to, to create, create mindfulness practices around their money. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, I think that's part of the problem of a lot of people view so many things as like, oh, it's, it started out as a feminine conversation. So that's, it needs to stay a female right. conversation, not, right. we need to expand it out and, you know, stuff like mindfulness and that it's, it's not. It exclusive it's inclusive exactly and I think I mean that comes from like a systemic bias of men can't show their emotions or like be vulnerable or anything and I think um yeah we just like society kind of needs a reset almost completely and I like, do think it's yeah yeah carry on carry on no sorry to say that this this like health healthy people are good for everyone, men and women. Right? Like, yes, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, I, and I do really think that there are like, there's a significant, and I would say, I would hope the majority of men that are our generation and, and yeah. even more specifically your generation that are, that are looking for this, like they're tired of all this crap too. You know, like they, yeah. they're the allies that we have, uh, you know, over here that we talk about a lot and just men that have, also feel like the narrative or the system hasn't hasn't included how they feel or how they want to be in the world and we even see that i mean our app is about 50 50 uh the users are both men and women That's and we great. don't we obviously don't ask lgbtq questions but you know there's a significant population um so for us exactly like these narratives around health and wellness really resonate for everyone and i do yeah. think they have to be generated. This is why I'm a big proponent of funding female entrepreneurs, or at least getting females in the decision-making process. Because, you know, I, you know, who knows? Maybe a man could come up with the approach that we've come up with, but I don't think they're inherently going to. At least in my tech world, it's not going to be a natural conversation. No. From from the masculine narrative that we have typically, seen. and you see that in all my competitors. None of my competitors, you know, talk like this you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah. I mean, it's, and it's important to have both. Like we have a diverse team of men and women. It's important to have all perspectives integrated into this. Yeah. I mean, that's where you come back to the conversation of privilege. Like you wouldn't think of that if your privilege already gave you the opportunity to have it or, you know, it just was never part of your lifestyle. Not having it doesn't negatively impact your life in any way. So it's only from like a perspective where there's less privilege in that field that you can fill those gaps right right and that's what that's actually what innovation is all about right like and yeah. that's why it's really exciting you know i there is a movement i feel it's like kind of the first 
wave of uh, female entrepreneurs right now doing really interesting things and creating, you know, billion dollar businesses and, and playing the game, but, but creating really interesting products. And it's the first wave, like, you know, we're all underfunded and struggling, you know, to struggling in our various ways, but we're still here. And, and I think the more we do it, the next generation will do it. And the more we think about funding female entrepreneurs or even, you know, companies being very systematic in how they promote people and creating safe spaces for leadership development yeah. from all genders. Um, it, it'll happen. It'll happen. And I think the world is moving. I mean, it's really messy. Don't get me wrong. And we have a, we have a really complicated political system. Oh yeah. <laughs> in our world. Um, but I think it's moving that direction and I think it will continue to. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Yay. <laughs> it's important to have people on the same wavelength as each other for these things to happen and but that only comes through education 100 percent. yeah you know conversations like this that's that's what pushes it forward so yes and really truly positive. journalists like you like like we need journalism i mean journalism is being targeted in this country right now but you mm. your industry has been the one that have broken scandals and kept people honest and pushed society like societal conversations forward. So I'm, I'm a huge proponent of your industry too. We need you too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm sure like in the FinTech industry, there's, there's problems with the media industry everywhere. We could pick, we could stand here and talk about right. different issues all day, but right. um, you know, it's like, it's people with the different mindsets, like, yours and my generation that are starting to recognize and make those changes which is so important and so significant and you know you only hope that it's going to make something more positive further down the line like the next generation yeah. isn't going to have to worry about this as much as we do I really hope so yes <laughs> I, I mean that's the hope right and my so I have a eight-year-old son and he's been born into you know BLM started when he was like four, you know, like, yeah. um, I, he has a very vocal feminist mother. Like, you know, I think, and the, and they, I, I do have hope because they, you know, the, the generate, they are just so wise in some ways and interconnected and yeah. they've seen diversity in their lives that I, yeah, I have a lot of hope, but we have to keep fighting. Like we have a lot more to do in our generation. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's so great to see, young people leading the conversations in climate change, in racism, exactly. in oppression. It's, it's yes. incredible to see. And it's something that I just, you know, we haven't seen before as a society, as a culture, um, like right. this many young people, like, you know, even like primary school or I guess like elementary in America right. age children actually starting to be like, hold on, no, I have a voice that I can use. Completely. Yeah. Oh, they don't want to be shot when they go to school. Like, yeah. <laughs> all these like really logical things. Like, why are you adults so crazy? Yeah, and I think I think from in the long term, and this is why I go back to money. I, you know, I, it's the power of the purse that really does change a capitalist society that we have. And I think you know that's changing politically to some degree. But um, I it's made me much more conscious about where I spend. I want businesses to represent my, my values and to have female leadership and to invest in, you know, the environment. And, and I think there, I think as we all kind of come into our own and we start to be part of the, you know, I'm late thirties. So I'm, I'm, I'm the early version of millennial generation. Right. So like, me and down we're start as we start to kind of come into our own and economically we also can demand better of companies and of of who we bank with and where we put our money and where we invest in because you know it's hard and it's not you know not ha doesn't happen all the time but i think it's as we demand better then this then companies will respond and they are responding with trying to be more transparent and thinking about these things it doesn't mean that they're all good at it but you know, that, that's a really powerful thing when a, an entire generation says, we want better of you guys. Be better. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so just to bring it back to Navit yes. uh, briefly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, thank you. 
<laughs> so in your perspective why is it so important for women to have access to finances in the way that Navit provides that access sure yes so so what Navit does is it helps you with your basic financial health and in the united states um and i, I mean this probably is true in your country too i'm gonna have to learn more but is you know we we consider three there are three basic tenets so spend less than you earn if you can um, if you can't try and make more money find a side hustle you know um, number two is have an emergency fund which is you know the average you know the experts say three to six months of, of your ex, you know fixed expenses in, in the bank that you can easily access if there's some crisis which you know COVID has shown that there can be weird crises in the world um, and then the third one for us in the and I, I know you don't have this as much but is don't, uh, reduce high interest debt and that's more in the form of credit cards. It's less, you know, student loans are kind of a, a somehow now a necessary evil in our country. So we're really looking at, you want to pay them down, but we're really looking at high interest debt, try and avoid that as much as possible. So our, our product helps people organize for that. So they look at, you know, we organize your budgets. We give you um, automated savings goals for like, you know, if you want to set up an emergency fund or if you just want to, you know, I have, an, I have a fund because I want to go to Greece next summer if the world yeah. opens up, you know, like whatever you want, whatever kind of goals you have, um, and we'll help automate it. And then the third one is the high interest debt. So let's like automate, you know, payments and try and save money to pay that down as quickly as possible. So by doing that, by, by getting those basics under control, you just have so much more freedom to navigate the world. And so if you have this emergency fund, if you understand your expenses, and all of a sudden you're stuck with a really horrible boss and you know sexism in the workplace or you're or there's mm -hmm. some sort of or you have you know bad boyfriend or something you're able to navigate you know you have the financial safety to be able to navigate that much more smoothly than if you didn't right and if you're if you're more vulnerable or fragile in your financial situation so um, you know from a from a feminist perspective giving women that security where they're not dependent on someone else, where they have the, their confidence to navigate the financial system and know that, you know, the other thing we talk about a lot is grit and resilience because money, like life is messy. You're going to have crises. You're going to have some emergency that comes and your emergency fund is, you know, depleted. You're going to, but you, but the resilience and the grit mindset says you will recover from that. You will be able to manage that. If you understand the basics, you will start to grow your knowledge. And then once you have the basics done, now you can start thinking about how do I generate wealth? Now I have, like, I'm safe. I'm starting to accumulate money. Now, how do I make money from, you know, how do I start to invest? How do I think about a house? You know, do I want to live in a house? Do I want to deal with real estate? Do I want to invest in ESG funds, like, you know, socially conscious funds that give me a return, but also support companies that I like, you know, it, it's, it's just this really powerful tool that helps you navigate your life on your own terms. And I think yeah. that that, again, once again, full circle, like, that is something women have not historically talked about. And that narrative has not been there. And so we just believe that as the more we talk about, it, the more we give people tools to be able to do this, the more you're gonna see women making, you know, con like healthy choices for themselves in the long run. Yeah, great. Uh, yes. I, yeah, I mean, like, I definitely feel there needs to be like more education about finances for women. Yes. I, I went to a, an all girls school um, oh yeah from well I started an all-girls school when I was eight and that wow. went straight through to when I was 18 amazing um and we were always taught like a female empowerment and you know yes. you have the right to be the CEOs you have the right to be the prime minister you know yes. you could do whatever it is you need to do just because you're a woman that shouldn't hold you back great um but we were never taught like we never got that like Seriously? In, in the UK um taxes only became part of our curriculum five years ago oh my god <laughs> so like <laughs> I mean me going into like I've had to do give myself a crash course into taxes yes. and how that works because I'm paying myself like I don't I'm not relying on a company to do that for me right so it's just like, you know, it's, oh. and I don't know whether that's because 
I'm in a like I'm in I mean my area is very white I don't know why I don't know whether it's because of that or because the government just thinks like oh they'll get a job at a chain or something and the chain will sort it out for them they don't need to worry about that but like we don't even get taught basic budgeting for university like living on our own and it's like if we want to expand like women's reach and everything we need to start teaching them the basics and the like finances is the basics yes my heart is it's like gut-wrenching to hear yeah. <laughs> like such an amazing opportunity lost um yeah. yeah yeah you know it's it's the same here like there it's not it's not um of part of the curriculum and some states because of the weirdness of our country some states have mandated it but not well and i think you know what i hear what I hear you saying is exactly what my point is, is like, it's probably, you probably had a lot of, how did you have, what was the ratio of male, female teachers in your, and administrators in your school? Uh, well, in my secondary school, it was probably about 60% female, 40% yeah. male, which is really positive. But I like, again, it's an all girls school teaching is seen as a feminine profession. So that might be right. it. Right. But at my university out of, um, a team of 10 people for my course only two were women yeah interesting um, but that was not an all-girls college no that was a mixed, yeah, mixed college a mix. yeah yeah so so and how are the administrators like the principal and the you know administrators in your elementary and, and high, high we call it high school uh elementary we had uh, a male we had a headmaster okay. um who our schools, so we were joined with an all boys school. So Got he it. was the headmaster for both. And yeah. I'm sure you can guess what he spent most of his time in his finances. 100%. Because <laughs> um, my primary school now, it went under. It doesn't exist anymore. But the boys oh school God, is no. still standing. No. So you can kind of see the disparity Fair there. Oh, um, sorry. I know. It's, it was really sad when it happened. Because um, it was just such a great school. <laughs> Of course, but, um, of course. And then we had, but at my secondary school, it was all yeah. female administrators, and yeah. but they were older generation administrators. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it was yeah. like all of us coming and going, like, hold on, this doesn't make sense. And they were like, well, right. it's part of the curriculum, so we don't have, we the have time to do it. To do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and this is what I mean. So, so their generation just didn't have these conversations. Like, they couldn't have the same conversations, right? Because they didn't have access in the same way. And then I don't think that as society opened up, you know, they were a lot of a lot of people didn't participate in that movement, right? So they're you know they're kind of people that stayed in, or they just didn't know. Like, it's just the next wave that like they fought so hard for all these things, access to the labor market you know, the education, the birth control, that it's like the next phase. Like it, maybe it is just our generation that has to say, okay, thank you for all of that. Now that we have that, let's start talking about money. Because <laughs> yes. now that we have, we're in the labor market and we're generating our own, that's like, a, it's kind of a good continuation into that conversation. And it's, it's kind of shocking that it's not taught for men either. You know, and like no, maybe- it's not. Yeah, they have inherent conversations maybe with their parents more about it, but, you know, it's, it should be part of our system. It should be yeah. part of the curriculum. And I think if women can purport it and, like, push it forward, then allowing that narrative to address both the feminine and the masculine experience is going to be the thing that really pushes society forward. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, I've always been thankful for, like, the teaching of all these, like, movements all these like social change things that need to happen right. and I'm sure you feel the same but it's when you get you get out of school and you're suddenly like hold on like yeah. these there's pillars to each of them and I'm I only got one pillar and one pillar is right. up I need <laughs> all these other things as well all so, these other totally yeah how and am I gonna do that it? Right. And some of that, you know, it is learning by experience. Like, yeah. you know, so, some of money, you just have to have it and know what to do with it. But, and so hopefully, you know, if we inspire parents to teach their kids a little bit more, mothers to teach their daughters a little bit more, you know, over time. Um, Cause there is something inherent of like, 
you can you can learn the academics of it, but when you have this tangible thing like a paycheck and it goes into your account, you have to pay taxes. Like, okay, you learn really quickly how to do yeah. all that. And see, there's basic stuff like tax returns. Like, right. you know, I I never knew what constituted as like a business expense and that right. I could like reclaim on. But right. you know, now I'm learning, and exactly. it's just a shame that it took me until this point in my life. Right. to understand and differentiate between all of that what you can do yeah and you know no like at least you're doing it now no yeah. guilt <laughs> don't feel bad like this it's not your fault <laughs> and now like look at the money you can get back it's so amazing right exactly you, get these you don't have to pay as much tax it feels so good <laughs> but i'm going through going like oh my god i can i can get that back I can do that. I can do that. Yes. <laughs> yes like look at how much i saved it's so yeah. it's been so good <laughs> Yeah, and it's definitely like programs like Navit as something that can really help. But I wish there were. I was like, you know, I'd I'd never heard of Navit until you contacted me, and I kind of wish that yes. I had heard of it. And it's just, you know, we need more companies like that to really like, and people to be aware of them, and then that reach can get out there, and more people can be educated. And it's just exactly. it, it's domino effects, doesn't it? It just leads to Completely. better, bigger, and better things. Yes, and we're working on that. Don't worry. We're we're a, like underfunded startup, but our mission is to get at least two million people on this platform talking about it, and that spreads the word. The other thing I should do is I should uh, plug. We have a workshop coming up with a group called Pledgets, another female-focused um, like financial education group, and they're doing a. It's a free re webinar that is women talking about finance. So if people People are interested it's if I'm hoping it's good timing for you but I think it's in the morning our time um, but it's a great way to like get get involved and also get like listen to other women talking about navigating the system and their problems and their questions and their tax returns and you know all of that it really is yeah. empowering yeah if, uh, if you send me the link over I can I will that. I'd love to yeah thank yeah. you um any final thoughts or statements about intersectionality and you know how we can spread that more thank you yes I so I think doing things like this just continuing the conversation I for me um understand being being aware of your privilege but don't be um stagnated by guilt about it I think those are the two things from from a white female perspective you know I think I think we're proud of our like be proud of yourself and what you've accomplished stand in your confidence you know there's no reason for guilt but just take it as a call to action and a call to arms to be thoughtful and inclusive and make sure that if you're pushing your narrative along you know you're also pushing other people's and you're aware of other people's narratives and you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna but there's no you know I think for me that right now in society the the only mistake we can make is not trying and not yeah. and being stagnant. And so, you know, you have a voice and you have something important to say, no matter who you are. Um, and so just, yeah, yeah. Keep doing what you're doing and, and participate, 